Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is Space News. This is from LiveScience.com. Meet Arrokoth, the most distant object ever explored. Arrokoth? Arrokoth. Okay. And uh, this is going to sound familiar to uh, very... uh, avid listeners of the show. Uh, Hopefully you weren't too attached to 2014 MU69 or Ultima Thule. Oh, yeah. As it previously used to be known, um, because the most distant object ever explored has a new name. Uh, The 21-mile-wide body visited by NASA's New Horizons spacecraft on January 1st is now officially known as Arrokoth, which is a term that means sky in the Powhatan Algonquin language. So it's like a Native American term. What a cool word. Right? Okay. Arrokoth. It, it just, it reminded me of like, like something from Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. Because like, Ultima Thule was already a pretty like, uh, name. Yeah. But now Arrokoth. Yeah. Also a pretty, uh, name. Yeah. Um, I, they didn't cover it in this article, but I saw a, like a related article while I was researching. And apparently Ultima Thule, like the word Thule has some kind of association with the Nazi party. Oh. In like pre-war Germany, so yeah, let's not use that anymore. Then, so that's that. That may be why they uh, moved away from that, or I, I think that is why they moved away from the <laughs> original name. So yeah, better not to associate it with Nazis. Yep. Um, anyway, like the Powhat- Powhatan people, New Horizons has strong ties to Maryland and the Greater Chesapeake Bay region. The mission is run by the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Laurel. Uh, Maryland, and New Horizons team members discovered Arrokoth using NASA's Hubble Space Telescope, which is operated by the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. A lot of proper nouns in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Arrokoth is approximately 4 billion miles from Earth, um, and I thought this was interesting. The New Horizons team actually got the consent of Powhatan tribal representatives before proposing the name to the uh, IAU, which I think is like the International Astronomical something um and uh they had a ceremony um where reverend nick miles of the pamunkey tribe which was part of the original powhatan confederacy uh opened the ceremony at nasa headquarters with a traditional algonquin song oh wow So they really incorporated the native american culture into like the actual ceremony and they got their permission to use the name i thought it was yeah it's like that's that's much better refreshing like that's much better than something with loose nazi ties (laughs) yeah Yes. Objectively, yes. And also the word sky is like, it's a great name for a yeah. for a space object. Cool. I'm wondering, okay, I have two questions. My first one is, what makes a space object special enough to be named with a ceremony? This one, I guess it's because it's like the furthest. The furthest one we've ever, one we've ever explored. explored. I think that's okay. the only reason. Okay. Okay. It's also it's kind of weird looking. I don't know if you remember the pictures of it, but it kind of looked like a snowman where it had the, yeah, the smaller bit and the bigger bit because it was formed from mm-hmm. two bigger bodies. It was like a cool shape too. Yeah, it was a weird little thing. My second question is, how does one become a member of the Space Telescope Science Institute? <laughs> I don't know, but I bet it's a cool gig. that sounds getting awesome. To, getting to play with the Hubble telescope. I mean, I guess you're not playing with it. You're doing real science. Oh, work, you're playing but, with it. But no. Yeah, there'd be Those a certain... Those guys just mess around. Like, just sure, do whatever they want. Well, I'm sure you have some, <laughs> some time like, where you, like, you oh, have access at, to this thing, and you can just be like, I want to look at a distant thing and, like... You just look at stuff. You have one of space. the most advanced telescopes in the world. How cool is that? Like at your fingertips. 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. Sounds sweet. <laughs> yeah, I assume you have to go to school for that. I... You have to go. <laughs> what, you get a major in space telescopes? What? <laughs> What do you or have to like, go to school for? Astronomy. Like astronomy, astronomy, I would assume, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not qualified, fine. Or maybe if you've got an easier-to-earn degree in astrology, you can kind of like just like flash your degree at them as you walk into the building and be like, no, no, it's, it's legit, and then just yeah. go in and look for Pisces or something. Maybe I'll do that one day. With your astrology degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, my first story is health news. This is from nature.com. The world finally has an Ebola vaccine. We did it. Yay. Yay. On November 11th, European regulators approved a vaccine that has already helped to control deadly outbreaks of the virus. Um, The first time any immunization against Ebola has passed this specific hurdle. So basically this vaccine has existed for a while, but Mm -hmm. this is just like a milestone that they got formal approval for distribution of the vaccine from these European regulators. So it's like this big deal. Like outside of maybe like emergency situations, which I yeah, think is what they've been using it, it for so right. far. They've, they've only been using it in um, emergency situations, like if in an actual outbreak where they're trying to, right. and, and it's actually been tested in, the scenar- in those scenarios and been proven to work. Yay. So That's so cool. This is really exciting. And that's basically the whole thing. But um, <laughs> the, the company producing it is called Merck. Um, and now with this approval, the product can be like stockpiled and distributed more widely now. So um, the other thing that they noted was that they are going to continue research in this area still. Like they're not like just stopping, but they're sure. going to see it to try to make it better or see if they can find even, you know, but better vaccines even than this. But mm-hmm. but now there like is something. So Yeah, which is awesome. It's like... The whole world can read this huge sigh of relief that right. <laughs> we have yeah. a solution. Um, no, that's that's incredible because yeah. now they can start distributing it to people who are like still technically at risk, but not yes. maybe in like these outbreak zones. And right, like we probably won't be getting it because we're really not at risk unless we would be traveling to some of these sub-Saharan African. Yeah, but there are certain. But- parts of the population in Africa are certain areas that I think they know are at higher risk of an outbreak occurring. So right. And now they we can, can stop it. Yeah, exactly. Before it happens, which is amazing. It really is. It's so exciting because Ebola is so scary. It's so scary. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I think it, we've it, talked about it before, yeah, but like it kills a large percentage of the people that get it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an incredibly deadly disease. Yeah. And it spreads rapidly. Um, I forget if we talked about this the last time we talked about Ebola, but have you read the hot zone? <laughs> No. Or seen the show that came out I've heard, for The Hot Zone? No, I haven't read or seen, but I have heard of it. Okay. The book is really, really good. And um, we actually watched the show, too. It's on National Geographic. And the show, they did a pretty good job, like, kind of, like, adapting it. But, you know, it's a little bit more, like, stylized for, like, right, television. Yeah. <laughs> but the book is really, really good. And it actually, it was written a few years ago before this most recent big outbreak happened, actually. And when they knew a little less about... Ebola and like mm-hmm. what effect would it have if there was this big outbreak? And it actually like scares you so much. Like reading that book, it's like <laughs> terrifying. Like oh. you like read it and you're like, this could happen at any time. What will happen if this happens? And then it's like, I read that book, I think maybe a year or two years before the big outbreak that happened a couple of years ago. And I was just like, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they, we learned a lot. We've learned a lot since then. Right. But I'm just saying, I still think it's a really good book. They explain all about how it works and all these things. So, um, 
Yeah, it is interesting. We've had like these major outbreaks relatively recently, and yeah. like in that time, we've developed like vaccine, and I think also like treatment for people who are suffering yeah. from it that we didn't have before. Right. Which it's it's kind of sad because like in a way, some people are sacrificing like their lives for the betterment of other people, but it is good to know that it's not all in vain. Yes. Sorry, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not mean well, for that to get that with, dark. I but would, Yeah, it's a bummer. I, I would say with any really dangerous disease that can end up happening, I this one is just, yeah, it, it's just scary. But we have a vaccine now, we have treatments. We learned a ton about the care of people with that get that contract it in recent years. And I think that if there ever is another like really big outbreak, which hopefully never happens since we have a vaccine now, yes. <laughs> but if it were to happen for some reason, I think we'd be so much better prepared to like deal with it. Right. So that's good. Yay. My next story is dinosaur news. And this is from CNET. Feathered polar dinosaur fossils discovered in Australia. Feathered fossils? Feathered polar dinosaur fossils. Well, I don't even know what that means. Di- <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Uh, around 118 million years ago, there was an ancient shallow lake that lay just beyond the southern polar circle in what is now uh, Kunwara, Australia. They have great names down there. Um, today the town is home to a geological reserve where an international team of scientists have unearthed what they say is the world's first evidence of feathered polar dinosaurs. So that is dinosaurs that live like below that Southern polar circle, like within, so they would have been in like extremely cold environments and still been dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Wait, why have I never thought about that? Okay. So like like Antarctica, like a polar bear. But a dinosaur. But a dinosaur. Okay. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, The scientists analyzed a remarkably well-preserved collection of 10 fossil feathers found at the site, which included downy body feathers and tufted hair-like proto-feathers from meat-eating dinosaurs, as well as wing feathers from primitive birds. So they had like 10 preserved feathers, which are incredibly rare in the fossil record because they obviously don't preserve well. Right. Um, According to... Uppsala University's Benjamin Keir, who was a leading author on the study, uh, dinosaur skeletons and even the fragile bones of early birds have been found at uh, ancient high latitudes before. So they've found like skeletons in these areas. Okay. Um, yet to date, no directly attributable integumentary f- remains. And I looked this up. Integumentary is the system um, of stuff like on the skin that's meant to protect you from like the cold or things. So like in humans, it would be hair. It'd be scales and things like reptiles, like those kind of things. Okay. So um, no directly attributable integumentary remains have been discovered to show that dinosaurs used feathers to survive in extreme polar habitats. Uh, These Australian fossil feathers are therefore highly significant because they came from dinosaurs and small birds that were living in a seasonally very cold environment with months of polar darkness every year. So somehow these, they were able to stay warm enough partially due to these feathers to live in these polar environments. Hmm. Um, And some of the Kunwara fossil feathers are now on display in the 600 million years exhibition at the uh, Melbourne museum in Australia. So if you wanted to see them for yourself and you are in Australia <laughs> or going to be in Australia, 
um, there, that's an option for you. Cool. Well, maybe I should go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm suggesting. <laughs> Take a trip. We no, could just, both go. We I just love them. the visual of just like a feathery dinosaur running around a snow-covered environment. It's yeah. just it's so counter to what you typically think of with dinosaurs. I know. That's what like I am envisioning it, but it's it is weird to think about that cuz I've just never thought about cold weather dinosaurs like before. Yeah, you always just think of like saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths and like ice age creatures yeah but there still would have been cold areas of the earth even in, right. in the time of the dinosaurs so right naturally something's going to adapt to live in that environment yeah and it makes a lot of sense yeah i'd never thought of it before this either honestly so okay my next story is ai news this is from gizmodo um so uh, this article is about using AI to create more realistic human-like movements for fictional characters in video games. Okay. So it's really cool. So explain like what they're doing. So um, basically, as video games give players more freedom to explore more and more complex digital worlds, it becomes more challenging for a CG character to naturally move and interact with everything in the world. Um, and there's like so much stuff that they can't possibly manually program all of the like physical movements that the character might do. Um, So what they do now to help with that is that they like film humans and then use that and like transform it into the models for the characters. Um, But okay. So even with that solution, like there's a lot of missing kind of components um, and what like the article talks about, like, for example, like the biggest kind of missing component there is like transitions from one movement to another. So like tr- your character is walking and now they're going to sit down like mm-hmm. the in between part. Right. Those movements are usually like real awkward and they don't the look more, right. Cause the more distinct movements that you have, the more combinations of those moves moving between each other you have to deal with. Yes, it's exactly. Very, so, <laughs> very complicated. So they can't manually program all of those like transitions to all the things and so they just end up i don't know what they they do something and it just ends up looking like really awkward yeah okay well computer scientists from the university of edinburgh and adobe research have come up with an ai-based novel solution that they'll be presenting um, at a conference in australia next month um but basically they have this algorithm that can study a collection of motions captured and digitized from a live performer on a soundstage um, and like the performer goes through motions, like picking up objects, climbing over things or sitting down in a chair, like all sorts of different stuff. And the neural network can take that and adapt it to almost any situation and environment, according to these researchers. So it like, That's a bold it's claim. like automatic. <laughs> well, yeah, right, right, right. So it, they, it like trains off of that and then mm-hmm. it can interpolate the information right. basically versus. Yeah. I was waiting for the word interpolate yeah. to come up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just inserted that word, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's interpolating the information in a way that the currently used technology can't really. Right. Um, so it's really cool. Actually, there's a video, which I'm not going to show you right this second, but that kind of shows like a proof of concept example of like a video game character that is using this algorithm to walk around and it looks pretty good. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like video games now like do look good to me. Like, they're like pretty high quality anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that like me watching it, I wasn't able to tell like, wow, that's definitely a step ahead of like what I've seen in other games. But 
Yeah, you also wonder though how much your brain kind of accepts the limitations of video games to the point where if like a character moves in an like an like an unnatural normally unnatural way that you're just yeah. kind of like this isn't a game so, so your brain that like doesn't interpret it as weird. Yeah. That's I always wonder that kind of thing. Too. That I've never thought about it that way but I think you might be right. I mean make, like you see things and you just like your your mind fills in what they did but actually if you're looking at like what movement did this character actually do it's like oh that is actually weird but mm-hmm. and this this is this kind of technology especially it's almost like if you don't notice that it's working it's doing its job where it's like if a, a move between like standing and sitting in a chair looks completely natural like you're not going to think anything of it because obviously mm-hmm. you're familiar with what that motion looks like so yeah that's true yeah <laughs> i don't know so, i'm just ha- i'm having a like a i'm just kind of like vomiting out my thoughts right now <laughs> <laughs> no it's like this is so cool so they so they had this video i watched like the beginning of it it was a really long video. I'm probably going to watch more later, but they're like presenting this at this conference like next month, I guess. And they're going to try to like actually use this in games now because they've developed this thing. Um, uh, that'll be cool. Uh, this article also talked about how there's actually other advantages to this technology too. Um, having to do with video games. So one of them is like reducing file sizes of games. Like if you have this algorithm instead of like all of the data needed for programming, all the motions that could help with like, the new frontier of like streaming stuff and all that mm-hmm. um, and make that more feasible. Um, and then also it said that this could pave the way for just like having more complex interactions between video game characters, like yeah. the types of things that like just aren't really possible because of all of the visual stuff, the calculations and everything that's involved in it, like huge fight scenes where like with more complex, like things happening in the background. I don't know, like just different things like that. Yeah. Um, no, if Which I mean, and cool. if it works as well as they say, and that it works for every motion in every yeah, situation, that's what, re- <laughs> that's what the researchers are like. It can do any situation. It's like okay, I mean, bold, but we'll see. That's pretty, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we're heading in that direction either way, but it it'd be cool if we got there sooner rather than later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My next story is random local news. This comes from New Jersey News 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Uh, A sandwich isn't worth a ticket. Police try to maintain order during chicken craze. So I've heard, I'm sure you've heard about the Popeye's, the Popeye's chicken sandwich and how it's making everybody go, go crazy. Um, It seems the people of Bergen County love that chicken from Popeye's. (laughs) That's just their opening line here. Uh, High demand for the popular sandwich from the chicken restaurant is causing traffic to back up so badly in Rutherford, New Jersey, that the uh, police department put a sign out in front of the restaurant that says, a sandwich isn't worth a ticket, do not delay traffic. Apparently in this particular plaza, there's both a Popeye's and a Starbucks. And when their when their drive throughs both get busy, it ends up like pushing traffic out onto this major road. Oh wow! And so the police are like, "Hey, you can't, <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you can't, do can't just this. do that." Wow. Um, the popularity of the Popeyes chicken sandwich has caused some chaos around the country, which I'm sure you've heard about. Um, there's reports of people getting into violent fights while waiting to try it. Um, they even had to suspend the sale of the sandwich for a time earlier this year due to running out of the buns used for them which prompted a BYOB promotion for the restaurant, yeah. urging customers to bring their own buns. I heard about that. <laughs> like, like, I, that so defeats the purpose of a fast food restaurant, having to bring any component of it with you. I know. But, like, the craze over this sandwich is just 
Yeah, like, it's a, baffling to me. Um, I mean, reasons, I do want to try it. But well, one of the reasons I brought this story is because I did try it actually earlier this week. Oh, how was and it? I, it was really good. Like it was probably probably the best chicken sandwich, like fast food chicken sandwich I've ever had in my life. Like so, the hype it's not overhype. It's, it's actually. Really I would good. say yeah, I'd say it's it's really not overhyped. Their spicy chicken sandwiches, like especially, like really good. Was it better than Chick Fil A? Yes. I would say for sure. Oh, which like I wasn't expecting because I do uh, I hate Chick Fil A, but I love their sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I was really excited to go to a place and like that had a really good chicken sandwich. The only thing was it was still like a really long wait at this one place. I think we ended up like our entire trip there was like an hour long oh, just wow. between driving and waiting. Was in everyone line. ordering the sandwich? I think so. <laughs> and it was, and they also just only, they only had one cashier working, which seemed that anyway. That's neither here can nor there. Can you just can but, you imagine? Working at a Popeyes during this oh, time, I, I felt so bad like, for this poor woman. Just, she just looks so overwhelmed. Like, hundreds of people come to your establishment and are just like, "Can I yeah. have the Popeyes chicken sandwich? Can I have the Popeyes chicken sandwich? Can I have the chicken sandwich?" Over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. <laughs> like, yeah, there were. Wow. the The drive through was pretty crazy there too. It it wasn't the in, the interior wasn't overly crowded or anything, but it was a long line and it did take a while to get through it. Um, but. It was a really good sandwich. Well, I don't know if I'm, it's worth all the trouble the people have been going to. Like, I mean, the one guy got stabbed to death, which was definitely yeah, not that's worth it. Not. Um, but the it's a it's a really good sandwich. They they made a good product. It's very it's very uh it has like a very crunchy uh like exterior, but a very juicy interior. Like it's it's just a real real good sandwich. So what is the bread on it? Is it like I. I don't know if the bread was anything particularly special. Okay. It seemed like a pretty standard toasted bun. Okay. It was really good. Well, you're the it first had, person it had that I... pickles on it, and it had, like, this... The spicy one had, like, a spicy aioli on it. Okay. Which I actually... I liked that more than the Chick-fil-A spicy one, because theirs is just, like, the, the breading has spice to it. This actually, like, the sauce on it is spicy and oh, okay. has more of a kick. It's very good. All right. So there you have it. You heard it here. If you've been wondering if you should get the sandwich, I mean, honestly, wait a few more weeks. <laughs> Let the hype die well, down. Like, but why hasn't the hype died down at this well, point? Like I said, it's been so long. It's a good I sandwich. Think, I still, yeah, I don't know why it's still so over the top like, popular. I would think it would have died down by now. I guess not. But yeah, I, I would. I will throw my endorsement behind the sandwich. It All is, right. It's definitely. It's definitely very good. I was I about to say worth it. the hype. It's not worth the it's hype. It's not worth the hype. But it is. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> good to know. Okay, my next story is animal news. <laughs> this is from BBC News. Uh, this is a really short one. Um, a 10-week-old abandoned puppy with a second tail in the middle of his head has been... Wait, t- <laughs> that's not <laughs> where I thought that was going to be. Um, the, it's a puppy with a tail that's growing on his head, uh-huh. um, has been taken in by an animal rescue center in Missouri. Staff at Max Mission, which is predominantly for animals with special needs, have called the puppy Narwhal. That's so good. This is him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so... Why would... I don't know. Why would a tail be growing there? He has a second tail That's a on cute, his forehead. That's a cute puppy, though. He's a really cute puppy. But yeah, isn't that crazy? That's so strange. So and apparently they posted this photo on Facebook and then it went viral, which is why this is a news story. But uh-huh. um, they've done x-rays of 
his head and like basically it's not connected to anything and there's no medical reason to have to like remove it or anything. It's just like there. Just a free floating tail. Yeah. On his forehead. Yeah. Um, okay. So Narwhal is going to be up for adoption soon. His name is Narwhal. Yeah. That's so <laughs> not, good. Um, not yet because the staff want him to grow a bit more and just like truly make sure the tail isn't like a issue right. for him. But for some reason, but like, um, yeah, but then he's going to be able to be adopted if you live in uh, Missouri. So, yeah, I feel like he's got Narwhal. a very good chance of getting adopted. Yes, I think so. <laughs> he has a tail on his face. It's, it's so bad. For it's the... so weird. It is. But I hope that it stays that size so it doesn't but, get so it the... doesn't like grow as grow as big as yeah. his regular tail. Right. That would, be that, that would be incredibly like, awkward. Really annoying for the dog. I yes. feel like, like <laughs> I, if it was just like this size, it's like, okay, it's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's real weird, but it's fine. <laughs> His name's Narwhal. So that's my favorite. That's my favorite pet name I think I've ever heard. <laughs> All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today, or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Narwhal. Ready, set, set go! go! Alright, I found this on Huffington Post. Shelter Cat goes viral, viral for liberating fellow inmates again and again and again. Liberating the other cats? Yes. <laughs> okay. This is a six-year-old shelter cat named Quilty. Which I really, I really like that name. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, kept breaking fellow felines out of their enclosures. Staff at the uh, Friends for Life Animal Rescue and Adoption Organization in Houston had to wrangle the freed cats back into their own abodes on multiple occasions. <laughs> he was temporarily banished to the lobby so the room could be quilty-proofed, according to a Facebook <laughs> post. He likes. He apparently liked to let other cats out of the senior room. <laughs> <laughs> According to the uh, the the, uh, the workers there, this happened repeatedly several times a day. <laughs> oh wow! And apparently, Quilty used to uh, let his dog sibling into the house at his old home all the time, oh. and that's where he learned this like door opening. Skill. <laughs> oh, um, but apparently now Quilty is uh, on a week long trial at a possible forever home. So. And they say his adopters haven't seen him try to open any, do- any doors, and the shelter is like, "Really? <laughs> That's not fair." Oh. But yeah, Quilty the the jailbreaking cat. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is this is Quilty. Oh, he's cute. He is cute. Well, my story is also about some animals. Uh, the headline, or this is from The Guardian. The headline is, Cows swept off island during Hurricane Dorian found after swimming for miles. What? Cows can swim? I don't even know that, but they can't. Whoa. Check this out. So, three of a larger group of cows that had been swept off an island during Hurricane Dorian have now been located on North Carolina's Outer Banks after apparently swimming for four miles in like open just in the ocean ocean. just in the ocean for four miles during the storm aren't there sharks yes (laughs) wouldn't this be like the easiest meal (laughs) um so 
okay, so these cows all got swept off where, you know, where they were grazing and then they were presumed dead, but Cape Lookout National Seashore staff spotted one of the cows on another barrier island a month after the storm. That sighting was followed by two more, apparently grazing peaceably. Um, there's a picture floating around on Facebook, I guess. And it says, cows are recognized as adept swimmers comfortable with covering a few hundred yards, but swimming miles of open water in a hurricane is outside their general range of expertise. <laughs> or anyone's, I would imagine. What um, on earth? Like, they swam for four miles in open ocean during a hurricane. That's... It's like, what? <laughs> Hey, I guess that's if, you're, amazing. if you got to survive, you got to do what you got to do. But that is... It's amazing. That's wild. Now, I mean, I guess, like, there there was this large group of cows, and I'm assuming the other ones perished, but, like... The, oh, oh, these So it wasn't three, all of them. It was, like, these three, three... were ones... Were part oh, okay. of this larger group, and oh. the three of them made it. I thought that those three were the only ones that had no. been swept away. No, that's... No, that's it, was a lar- it was large, so it was sad. But still, but But some three, of them made it. They... Sw- these, the, they swam for four miles in open ocean during a hurricane. That's <laughs> that the cows. Is, that's crazy. Go, I go cows. I learned so many things doing this podcast. Now I know that cows <laughs> yes, can swim, and apparently so, very far. And a, yeah. So that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to all of this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at, at knickknacknews. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.